Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I I really don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but I've been saying this for a long time. And um, what America saw on Monday night affects not necessarily the fathers of what is that yeah what was that michael that's a disaster i am sorry i am on a the disaster wrong... let's make sure we know who's to blame so we know who i to am to blame here, here is the correct clip okay. the correct 20 i think we can say pretty conclusively after looking at tens of thousands of emails over the course of these weeks that the government was in the censorship business in a huge way uh that's i think provable now uh, and not just one agency, really every conceivable wing of the enforcement uh, agencies of the U.S. government were in some way or another sending moderation requests to Twitter. And in many cases, those requests were being fulfilled. And they were coming from everywhere, from every place, from the NSA to the HHS to FBI, DHS, uh, and even what they call other government agencies, which I think is code for the CIA. So we have yes, reports from all over, from states, from police departments, everywhere. Who dat? That is Matt Taibbi talking to Tucker Carlson, who, when he's not being nutty, is one of the best uh, around. Uh, Matt is talking about the latest tranche of Twitter files that have been released. And I can read you his summary, because he put out a... Uh, 
a thread on, I guess is an email to those of us who subscribe to Substack, summarizing each of the chunks, because uh, I don't like saying tranche, each of the chunks of Twitter files that have come out. Um, and then we can get into some of the detail. But here's, here's a summary. Uh, the latest two Twitter threads focus respectively on the second half of 2017 in a period stretching roughly from the summer of 2020 through the present. The first describes how Twitter fell under pressure from Congress and the media to produce material showing a conspiracy of Russian accounts on their platform. And the second shows how Twitter tried to resist fulfilling moderation requests from the for the State Department, but ultimately agreed to let state and other agencies send requests through the FBI which Agent Chan of the FBI calls the, well, it's irrelevant. So the revelation is, <clears throat> at the close of 2017, Twitter made made a key internal decision. Outwardly, the company would claim independence and promise that content would be removed only, quote, at our sole discretion. The internal guidance, though, says in writing that Twitter will remove accounts, quote, identified by the U.S. intelligence community as identified by the U.S. intelligence community as state-sponsored entity conducting cyber operations. And the second thread shows how Twitter took in requests from everyone, Treasury, HHS, NSA, FBI, <clears throat> DHS, and probably the CIA, and also received personal requests from politicians like Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff, who asked to have journalist Paul Sperry suspended. So you have multiple law enforcement and intelligence agencies through the FBI saying to Twitter, take down this account, this account, and this account. This is uh, a Russian uh, mob. This is uh, misinformation about COVID. This is uh, one thing or another. Here's the problem. Well, there are two problems, obviously. Number one, you have law enforcement and intelligence agencies telling publishers of free speech, take that down, that down, and that down. And those publishers agreed to. And the second problem, which reveals really the horror of the first problem, is like every other episode in freaking human history, frequently they were wrong. It was somebody in good conscience pointing out, for instance, Hunter Biden's laptop has some weird stuff on it that makes it look like the Biden family sold influence. Or saying, you know, that lab in Wuhan, the Institute of Virology, they have a terrible safety record. No. Twitter took those down because the government told them to. And there are a bunch of examples of that. Well, told them to or asked them to. And I guess that's where the rubber meets the road on whether or not it's a First Amendment violation. But, man, it seems close enough to me. I mean, the, uh, you know, the, the lawyers among us uh, say, well, you know, they're saying watch out for it. Take this down. I think you should take this down as opposed to ordering them to it or threatening them. But, man, it's close enough for me. Definitely close enough for me for the government to be getting involved in the content. Matt Taibbi, who's putting this stuff out, who's, a, if you don't know his act, I mean, he's one of the smartest, snarkiest, funniest left wing columnists of the last couple of decades. And now he is disappeared from all mainstream media because he's seen as a conservative voice. Because he thinks this is awful. He mentioned, yes. maybe this says it in one of the clips we're about to play, but he mentioned on Tucker last night, he said, I'm a lifelong donor to the ACLU. That's who I am. And pe people like me should be horrified by this, but they aren't because it was, had to do with Trump. 
Yeah, let's go ahead and, uh, yeah, sometimes tangentially, let's play 22, Michael. And I have to ask, there are a lot of different nonprofit organizations that purport to defend free speech on behalf of journalists. I won't even bother to name them, but there are a lot of them. Have any, have any of them weighed in on this and raised holy hell? No, and that's been a profound disappointment. Um, you know, for me personally, I, I gave to the ACLU for years. I'm one of those sort of dyed-in-the-wool uh, liberals and grew up that way. I'm deeply disappointed. I think a lot of people uh, who are sort of politically on that side of the aisle um, are missing the boat on this. They don't understand the gravity of the situation. They're thinking about this in partisan terms. It's not a partisan story. This is a story about the architecture uh, of the intelligence community and law enforcement getting its hands on speech and on the ability for pe of people to communicate with one another through platforms like Twitter and Facebook. And they're doing this in a very profound way, much more serious than I thought it was uh, at the beginning of this story. That's amazing. It is. It is. And while I don't share Tucker's snarky need to dismiss all suspicions of Russian malevolence, it's irresistible to me to point out you have the intelligence services here and the law enforcement. And generally, we're very pro-law enforcement around here. On the other hand, the entire history of law enforcement is a certain percentage of it is overreach and the trampling of people's rights. That's why people who love liberty constantly have their eye on Law enforcement, on intelligence services, on the military, you have to. Anyway, I can't resist pointing out, during, for instance, uh, the 1940s, 50s in the United States, the so-called Red Scare, the concern was Russian misinformation, disinformation, Russian penetration of our nation's media and government. It was specifically the Russians are trying to infiltrate us, therefore we are justified in cracking down on free speech and free association. That is why J. Edgar Hoover, it was his reason for spying on Martin Luther King Jr. and putting microphones in his hotel rooms right. so he could record him having sex, so he'd have leverage over him to try to uh, get him to kill himself, actually, in one instance. That, that was the excuse. He's a communist, so we're going to tape his sex. So to a person in the liberal media and the mainstream media, to... Taibbi's point about uh, they, they're ignoring this, to a person, media people would condemn and decry Joseph McCarthy and the Red Scare. And they would tell you they would have stood up bravely against that. I almost hate to play the Nazi card, but in 1930s Germany, one of the main rationales the Nazis used to gain power was the communist threat. Literally, Russian plots of misinformation, disinformation, penetration of the media and the government. And everybody in the media would tell you, I wouldn't have uh, thrown bricks through Jewish windows during Kristallnacht. I wouldn't have joined into that. I would have stood up bravely. Well, here you have the freaking intelligence services saying because of the threat from Russia, and hey, communists did want to take over Germany. And there were communists in the United States government and the media in the 40s and 50s. There were plenty of them. It wasn't a completely Ill illegitimate concern. There were, it just went in the civil, there were communists in the civil rights movement. That's right. That's true. Quite a few of them. So this is almost exactly the same thing. And those same people who would bravely claim that they would have gone up against the ramparts back in the day and done the right thing, they're silent because 
A lot of this stuff kind of was against Trump, so it's okay. You are the biggest, stinkingest cowards and hypocrites I've ever seen in my life. I know it's, a, it's crazy that it's getting no coverage from anybody that I can see. Is the New York Times doing any of this? Or And I would have thought Matt Taibbi would have had the... Um, uh, the, the 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 heft and the um, the track record that they would believe him. Okay, if Matt Taibbi's saying this, it mu- there must be something to it. Because yeah, he was a hero among those people, right? A it, rock star. And his dad was, uh, you know, um, um, uh, the White House correspondent for years for CBS or ABC or whatever. I mean, he's got a family history. He's well known in that world, and he's saying, "Hey, lefties, this is a big deal," and nobody's paying any attention to it. One more clip. Uh, Let's go with uh, 24. In relative terms, Twitter is a smaller player. I mean, you have Facebook and Google that that dwarf it in size. I mean, uh, we've got to assume that those two companies are as penetrated as Twitter has been, don't we? Yes, and and there's evidence for that. Uh, Certainly, we've seen uh, that they had what they called weekly uh, or monthly industry meetings with the DHS and the FBI. Uh, and those included a, a number of companies, including Facebook, in some cases Wikipedia, Pinterest. Uh, there were a whole series of companies that were included in, in these communications. Um, how deep the penetration goes in, in those other companies, I can't say, but I do know that they had very close communications. And in Twitter's case, the number of requests that, that came in was really overwhelming. Your previous guest, Michael Schellenberger, talked about how they were uh, paid $3 million by the FBI. They were underpaid. They were doing so much work for the government in terms of uh, reviewing these documents that uh, they, they should have been compensated a lot more for their work. That is really something. And, you know, we're not arguing there should be no counter to Russian disinformation. That's been part of the Soviet Union's playbook and Putin's playbook forever. We've got to be aware of it. Of course, we've got to be smart about it. But when the government quashes Americans' free speech, including journalists, including people who had absolutely the right to speak out, because all censorship ends up going too far, always. Including you stories got that to turned, be aware of it. A bunch of stories that turned out to be true around right. COVID or Hunter Biden's laptop or whatever. Right. Yeah. Taylor Swift's cat is the world's third richest pet. I have details on that to come. If that's not intriguing to you, I don't know what it takes. I didn't picture a cat cracking the top five, I got to admit. Whatever number you're guessing for the net worth of Taylor Swift's cat, you're guessing too low. How's a damn cat got any net worth? I'm a little unclear on that. I'm a little fuzzy, if you will. (laughs) That, among other things, on the way. Armstrong and Getty. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Show. A Talk County Sheriff says it was a long day, but it went well. He says Kohlberger will be held in a separate cell away from other inmates and that they will have added security. And within hours, he will be here for his first Idaho court appearance. That's the Ph.D. psychopath who probably killed those four college students in Idaho. He's in Idaho, and we're going to find out today how they tracked him down and what evidence they have. But uh, one of the stories that came out in the last 24 hours if you had heard, he got pulled over twice as he was driving from Idaho back to Pennsylvania to his parents' house. He got pulled over twice, which seemed a little weird. Well, now we know that the FBI was tailing him, contacted state troopers and said, hey, pull this guy over. We want you to try to get pictures of his hands to see if he's got any wounds on his hands. We're trying to build the case here. Hmm. And um, so they pulled him over twice. And I wondered, you know, can they do that? I mean, do they can they just make up a reason for pulling you over? Anyway, we got this from somebody who knows. Guys, I'm listening right now. Do you know? want to know uh, how the FBI asked the Indiana State Police to pull them over? That is called a whisper stop. In California, quite often, you get a federal agency that, because this person worked in California, in California, you get a federal agency that uh, wanted to pull somebody over and search their vehicle. They'll call upon 
CHP or the local police or whatever and tell you, hey, pull this guy over and, you know, find this out for us. Find one of the 17,000 things that might be wrong with his driving and or vehicle and pull him over. That's a little troubling, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It reminds me of Ayn Rand's famous quote about we've created so many laws and rules. We don't expect you to follow them. We expect you not to. And then whenever we need to bring you to heel, we'll just cite one of the many rules and regs you've violated and you will be ours. That's exactly what that is. Yeah. In this case, you know, they're finding a catching a murderous scumbag, which is fine. But, you know, anyway. Taylor Swift's cat is the world's third richest pet. (laughs) That's quite a transition. So that Thank was a you, meow and a cash register. That was pretty good. Nice, Michael. Cash there register, you go. which you got to be at least 40 to have ever heard one, probably. Oh, I think maybe? the whole cha-ching sound effect is mm. universally known. Maybe. <laughs> Taylor Swift's cat is worth $97 million. Hmm. That's you, a wealthy cat. You, <laughs> that is well stated. Um, you weren't guessing that high, were you? Nobody was. Third richest pet, according to people who keep track of this sort of stuff, and you probably <laughs> guessed what it's all about. It's all about your social media following. So she posts lots of pictures oh. of her dang cat on Twitter or Instagram, probably Instagram mostly, or whatever, and gets enough views and has enough followers that that's how much money that cat can make and so is valued at about $97 million as an influencer. Wow. That cat is an influencer. I gotta start exploiting exploiting Baxter as an influencer, but his muzzle's getting kind of gray because, like his uh, buddy Joe, we're getting kind of old. So I'm gonna have him dye his muzzle because youth is very important. There's another cat worth an estimated uh, two hundred million dollars. Wow! And then the the richest pet in the world is worth about a half a billion dollars. I think it's a dog somewhere. Half a billion dollars. The list made using Instagram analytics and the pet's potential payday per social media posts, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So if you got like a particularly interesting cat, of course, it helps that it's Taylor Swift in this case. But in the other cases, those pets, they're not the pets of famous people. They just do a good job. Like Doug the Pug. The the Pug is the... The, the 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 reason the pug the 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 the, the money maker. It's not because the parents are famous. How do you like the fact that an animal who doesn't know not to eat poo is far more successful than you'll ever be? <laughs> than I'll ever be. One of the holdouts in voting for Kevin McCarthy for speaker is this Lauren Bobert person from Colorado. She wears the tight jeans and the high heels all the time. That's her look. That's her brand. Oh, yeah. And uh, she is a no vote, hardcore no vote, even though Trump told her to vote for Kevin McCarthy. She said no. And she was on Hannity last night, Sean Hannity, and Hannity was questioning her about it. And it's pretty interesting. We'll play some of that for you coming up. If you miss an hour, you can get the podcast Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Armstrong and Getty. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Even having my favorite president call us and tell us we need to knock this off, I think it actually needs to be reversed. The president needs to tell Kevin McCarthy that, sir, you do not have the votes and it's time to withdraw. Is there a crowd that is now Trumpier than Trump? I guess that's clearly Lauren Boebert. She's a House member, Republican from Colorado. She's one of the 20 no votes for Kevin McCarthy. She's a never McCarthy vote. She's one of the five or six who say they will never vote for Kevin McCarthy. Then of the 20 that aren't voting for him, some of the others say, you know, if he does this, if he agrees to that, I might vote for him. I can't remember. How many can he afford to lose and still win? Only only like five or six. I thought it was five. Yeah, Yeah, it ain't many. Don't quote me, but it ain't many. And uh, so he's making some concessions. But so it's it's pretty interesting that you got this. I'd I'd because Matt Gates, he's the Florida Republican um, who's also a never McCarthy vote. He said he'd rather vote for what's his name, the Democrat than Kevin McCarthy. Hakeem Jeffries, really? Yeah. He said that on the floor the other day. He said, I'd rather see Jeffries be speaker than Kevin McCarthy. So you got this weird thing on but with both Democrats and Republicans, where you'd rather lose 
and try to like disrupt than win. I mean, the best example is if Clyburn in South Carolina doesn't change everything, the Democrats do this with the presidency. They would have had either Bernie or Elizabeth Warren lose 40 plus states and they would and that crowd would have felt like, yeah, but we we were pure. I mean, that's yeah. that's what this crowd, the Never McCarthy crowd's doing, uh, I guess. I, I happen to think that Lauren Boebert and uh, Matt Gates are crackpots, but their argument might be, well, yeah, it's a rebuilding year. Let's not quit losing with these same players. Let's make trades. Let's get draft choices. Let's go ahead and, and, and be the team we want to be. I think they're wrong, but that I have a feeling that would be their argument. So she is a no vote. As, uh, as she referenced, Donald Trump tweeted out, hey, you 20, vote for McCarthy. He's the guy. Let's take the win. Well, and he called him personally, evidently. And she goes on the floor and says, hey, Mr. President, why don't you tell McCarthy to drop out? Which is a, quite a rebuke. Mm-hmm. So then she goes on Sean Hannity last night, who's been very, very Trumpy over the years, as you probably know, on Fox. And here's a little of that. Um, you know, the American the people are certainly frustrated by. I'm frustrated by you not answering a direct question. You said to President Trump, you, you said earlier today that President okay. Trump needs to tell and Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy not you don't have the votes. Have the votes. We need to come up Hold with it. a consensus Can I candidate to elect a Can speaker I of the House. You don't have the votes and it's time to withdraw. He has 203. Your side has 20. Why is it time for him to withdraw and not you when he has so many more votes? Well, Sean, he needs 218, and he does not have 218. We've been trying Neither to work this you. out in private, as you said, for months. But Kevin McCarthy didn't even want to listen to us until his disappointing midterms. We all want a unified party. But this isn't chaos. It's a functioning constitutional republic. When everything is said and done, okay, I like the uh, House Republicans will be stronger and better prepared to lead than we ever have before. I believe that this read? is what our founding fathers intended, and okay. this is showing Yesterday that you our Voted. Votes are working. Our votes aren't just an, uh, a cast. Congresswoman, to I'd ask you not to filibuster. So before we get to a little more of that, it's got a bit of a view sort of vibe to it. Kind of, um, although she made some decent points in there. The problem, I, the problem I have with this so-called debate or whatever like that is there aren't clear political like uh, ideologies at stake. If there were, that'd be fine. But Kevin McCarthy doesn't have a clear political ideology other than he'd no. really like to be Speaker of the House. Um, if it were like 20 holdouts who don't want more money for Ukraine versus, you know, a crowd that does or the, you got the small government crowd versus the we care more about, uh, I don't know, gay marriage crowd or whatever. And they're fighting it out. OK, that's what. But but there's not that that's not going on. It's just, it seems to be as our politics have been for quite a while now, just personalities. She just doesn't like Kevin McCarthy, I think. There, uh, I, will, I will concede this. Among the 20 holdouts, there are several different like causes or arguments. One common one you hear, though, is that the House needs to function more like the Founding Fathers intended it and less like the fiefdom of the leadership. That theme has popped up fairly frequently that would work a lot but, better if you picked a person to then back but they haven't done that as you're about to hear or, or spoke with a unified voice and had the same message repeatedly right here's a little more on her with hannity last night and if you can't get more than let's say 30 just, votes will you follow your own advice uh that you were asking donald trump and withdraw 
there are certainly names that are be being floated around. And hey, maybe I should nominate President Donald J. Trump tomorrow. But Sean, I, I did watch your show last night. This is a game night, show. Like we're going to pick on this motion. Did, we're going to no, 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 pick Jim no, no. Jordan Listen, one day, Donald the, the other day, Trump the next day. So my question is this: Nancy Pelosi's You haven't precedence. answered my question. So if you have. You cannot yesterday you supported, more responsibility yesterday you supported Jordan, today you're supporting Donald. Sean, that's not the way this works. Donald's. We need a check and a balance on the third in line Who to the is your fight? Let's Look, have Sean, a final answer. Want Who do you want to well, be you know, Speaker of the House? Maybe that's for the conference to decide. We need to come together Who do you want? I'm asking is. who you want. What does it look like life after Kevin? <laughs> she never answers that, and he gets very exasperated and rolls his eyes and shuffles his papers and stuff like that. Um, yeah, that that wore me out for a couple of reasons, one of which is that Hannity is squarely, uh, you know, kind of a uh, mainstream, uh, the powerful or his buddies, yep. same cocktail parties sure. character. Sure. Yeah, I get that. But you got to you got to pick. But I mean, the way politics works is you, you got to rally around, pick somebody and rally around them and make your argument. You just can't be like throwing it, stuff at the wall. Right. Seeing what sticks. I mean, that's never going to work. Or the 20 of you come out, have a spokesperson, make a brief and eloquent set of remarks like Chip Roy of Texas. He's beyond eloquent. He's brilliant talking yeah. about we need to restore the House to the way the House is supposed to function. But it's not clear at all that, A, they're all thinking the same things, and B, that they have a candidate in mind. No, Just not McCarthy. I'm not all excited. I think Kevin McCarthy will be a nothing uh, House Speaker who will preside over a tiny majority that won't be able to do anything, and even if they could get together, it'd get squashed by the Senate anyway. So he, he's not going to make much of a mark in history. No, and he's not that... Well, you know, I hate to be unkind. Just, <laughs> do you? <laughs> Since when? <laughs> I think he's very good at the fundraising and behind-the-scenes stuff that a speaker must do, the politics stuff. I think in terms of being a, a leader and a uh, inspirational character, he's, he's not very good at all. Well, let me, uh, I've got some thoughts on this, but let's let uh, Trey Gowdy, who we generally like around here, was a House member from South Carolina for uh, several years and then mm -hmm. finally got out because he was sick of the whole thing. Here, yeah. here, he came on Hannity right after Lauren Bobbert, and this is what he had to say. It is personal. She does not like Kevin McCarthy personally. And here's the proof. Here's the proof. There was a vote 30 minutes ago about whether to keep negotiating. So you have these 20 that are opposed to Kevin right now, some of them want to keep negotiating. They're actually making progress. And then you had four that would rather have a spectacle on the floor of the House that embarrasses the Republican Party, including one of the four being your last guest. So if you want proof about what her motivation is, she would rather embarrass the Republican Party on national television than adjourn to go negotiate. But, you know, those people always exist. You just don't notice them as much. When you don't have this tiny majority, usually you have enough of a majority. You can lose five, six, 12, whatever, who holdouts who, you know, have some weird reason for holding out and still, you know, do your thing because mm -hmm. you got you got a big enough majority. But when you're only just barely ahead, then you have these I'm not voting for nothing people so what well there are huge rewards for that in the modern era too through sure. social media and in internet oh, fundraising. yeah oh so, yeah you know lauren bobert's the aoc of the right to to some extent yep she is she yep she's hot and she's she's against things and i'll mm -hmm. bet she's raised more money in the last couple of days than in her entire than career. taylor swift's cat 
But here's one thing that I think is interesting. Um, uh, both Jonah Goldberg of The Dispatch and Joe Scarborough on MSNBC this morning have said the same thing in that this is fine. This is actually what democracy looks like. This oh, is yeah. absolutely fine. It's the way it's supposed to be. There's nothing wrong with this. Joe, I was happy to see Joe Scarborough say on MSNBC this morning, he said, there's no damage to the re- the democracy being done here. There's no threat to the nation for people saying this is dangerous. This is this is fine. It's a blip. It'll be over in a couple of days. Holy mm-hmm. cow. Joe Scarborough found his soul. Had Mika stowed it behind the vacuum cleaner in their hall closet or something? I know. Wow. I, was, I was really happy to hear him say that because I think he is absolutely right. The only problem I have with this dust up that I think is perfectly fine, even though, mm-hmm. you know, it hasn't happened in 100 years, is the way it's being used by everybody's an opponent of anything that is, you know, leans right. Is it so easy now to say, look at January 6th, look at this. I mean, it's just a bunch of nuts. They can't do anything. And, and it's, they take over, and this hasn't happened in a century. They just can't. And that's an easy argument to make to people who yeah. are just kind of half paying attention. Yeah. Shakes people's faith in Republicans to some extent. Yeah. Right. What What is you going to do? I don't know. There's a lot of money right now, though, in the you're just against everything. Oh, kind yeah. of the nihilist thing brave crusader against the evildoers yeah and i'm against the evildoers too but at some point you got to do business on the other hand what if jack what if folks are you sitting down if this stretched on for say another week and we didn't have congress in session for a whole week or a week and a half uh, would 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 Babies no longer giggle. Would puppies no longer <laughs> wag their tails? Would, would would there even be a workplace to go to? Would sex no longer feel good? Probably not. All life would stop as we know it. It's like the whole government shutdown thing. Nobody would friggin' notice if they didn't close Mount Rushmore. That's why they do it. That's why they put cones up around the World War II memorial, because otherwise nobody would notice it. Government is a for-profit business. And the biggest, most important lobbyist of government is government itself. And I love this because, you know, it's fine. I don't know about you. I had a lovely afternoon. I'm probably going to have a decent day today, even without Congress in session. Oh, my God. Yeah, I ate a cinnamon roll in the parking lot and then went to Costco and ate a giant muffin. So, hmm, I don't know. I got to do better than yesterday. Boy, cinnamon roll in the parking lot does have a bit of the feel of the bottle of vodka in the lower desk drawer. It's the non-drinking version of the divorced guy, single parent, <laughs> sitting in the parking lot eating a cinnamon roll. <laughs> really does. <laughs> you know. Hmm. Now, what are you going to do? That's what I am. Uh, Jack, there are no mountains without valleys. <laughs> it's a valley. Uh, um, I have the maybe the most amazing political statistic I've ever heard that we can get to to kick off hour three. Oh, my. Does that sound like a good idea? Yeah, it sounds fantastic. Also, one of those attacks on the electrical substations. What was the plot? What was going on? We have the answer, at least in one of the high profile attacks. A lot of good stuff on the way. Stay here. Armstrong and Getty.
The Armstrong and Getty Show. The way we have operated created excessive dependency in uh, global chains. We were too focused on cost. How can we make products cheaper? And COVID and then the senseless war uh, Russia started against Ukraine have shown that this is not enough. We have to think of the security of supplies. Mm -hmm. And that means diversify the sources of products that make the economy function well lifting up the level of cost. But we shouldn't go beyond. That is Christina Georgieva, who's uh, higher up in the IMF, talking about supply chains. It sounds familiar to Southwest's uh, stuff, too. As long as everything, Southwest Airlines, as long as everything's going great, they're in fine shape. But you run into some headwinds or a war in Europe, then all of a sudden, or a pandemic, nothing works right. Russian President Putin just called on Kiev to observe a 36-hour ceasefire for Russian Orthodox Christmas. Ukraine has indicated it would reject that. Wow. You may not know uh, uh, this, especially if you like watch Tucker Carlson. You know, there's a lot of talk that the Russian Orthodox Church, you know, Christianity is being stomped out by Zelensky because he's a Jew and all this different sort of stuff. The Russian Orthodox Church is thrown in fully with Putin. The top guy there in Russia is pro this invasion, pro everything. They're basically a spy network in the country of Ukraine. Oh, yeah. They're as corrupt as a 12th century pope. There you sure. go. Uh, coming up next hour, speaking of economics, um, what about buying a house oh, right now? I'm going to buy a house this <clears throat> next year, I hope. Mm, or should you? Stay with us. <laughs> um, a question we've asked several times of late, where have all the waiters gone? Waitresses, busboys, service workers, that sort of thing. We ate at a lot of restaurants during a little family get-together, and it wasn't available tables that had us waiting in line. There were plenty of tables. There just weren't enough people to serve the number of people they had. And I have pointed out as the touchy-feely member of the crew that a lot of people have just hit reset on their lives. The pandemic made them reassess what they're doing and why they're doing it, and I stand by those words. On the other hand, you have this. A report that came out last year but got no attention, gee, I wonder why, pointed out that unemployed households can earn $25 an hour on welfare in 21 states. Now, we're in a perplexing state of labor market purgatory, they point out. We have 9.3 million unfulfilled job openings unfilled while millions of Americans remain on unemployment benefits and million more opting out of the labor force entirely. In short, a labor shortage is throttling the economic recovery. But why? A study published by the fiscally conservative Committee to Unleash Prosperity offered a comprehensive examination of one of the labor shortage's main causes, and that is lucrative unemployment benefits. They Shocking! Mentioned the, yeah, I know. I know. They mentioned the $600 a week supplement that was later reduced to $300 a week in uh, one of the many trillions of dollars of spending bills. Uh, but the new study finds that under the current benefits regime, in conjunction with other welfare programs, households can earn the equivalent of $25 an hour, assuming a 40-hour work week by staying home with neither adult working. This is two parents, two kids. Well, yeah, th this has to exist. I mean, because we've talked about this stat a bunch lately, that there are 7 million men of working age that don't have a job and aren't looking for a job. 
Well, the first question you have is, well, then how are you eating? Where are you living? Well, it's got to be something like you're just describing. And what's especially galling, and some of y'all aware of this, not only can you make enough to survive from the public benefits, you're making more than working people. In 19 states, a family of four with two parents who aren't working can receive benefits roughly equal to $100,000 annual salary. Holy crap! Across all 25 blue states choosing to leave the benefits in place, the average unemployment payout for a family of four exceeds $72,000, which is significantly more than the median household income of (sighs) $68,700. I know. Everyone should know this. We don't have a lot of time, and you know what? We don't need a lot of time to explain this. The people receiving those benefits who want to live like that will vote for the people who continue it every single time. They will vote for the party that promises them those benefits for the rest of their natural lives. If I, as a politician, could assemble a constituency with other people's money, that would vote for me every single time for the rest of their lives, that'd be a pretty good idea as a politician. Where, where did they get this information? Where is this coming from? The study is co-authored by several free market economists you may know, including University of Chicago professor Casey Mulligan, FreedomWorks economist Stephen Moore, whose work I know uh, pretty well, Texas Public Policy Foundation economist uh, E.J. Antoni, uh, and their teams. I want to talk about this more later. We have to bring this up more later so we can go deeper on this. I listened to a podcast with the nation's leading socialist, while we were on vacation, he was he was trying to explain why socialism is a good idea, wow. and uh, and 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 I op- wow. I listened very open minded because that was the point of this podcast it was for people like me to get like a fresh view of why socialism works, and I have many comments about that and how it fits in with what you just said. It's funny. I'm reading uh, Tim Sandifer's fabulous new book, um, which goes into the history of. Uh, socialism and capitalism and the push and pull and the fight there in the early part of the 20th century. It's so interesting. The same idiotic, unworkable ideas just won't go away. We'll talk about that more later. A bunch of other stuff, too. If you miss an hour, get the podcast Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Armstrong and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. 
And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.